Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Today is Tuesday, November 17, 2020. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, Georgia Representative-elect Nakima Williams will join us. We'll talk about the upcoming runoffs in that state, her replacing the late Congressman John Lewis in Congress, and get her thoughts on Lindsey Graham and all the drama that he's been involved with trying to toss out ballots in the Peach State. Investigative journalist Greg Palace says John Ossoff has already won the election. Really? He will join us to explain. In the latest election news, Wesleyan University Dean Paul, uh, Dean has resigned after calling Joe Biden voters ignorant and anti-American. While Donald Trump challenges, the election results continue to be denied everywhere, including now in Pennsylvania. A newly released 2020 exit poll survey shows that the number one issue that black voters want President-elect Joe Biden to address 
is structural racism. We'll talk about some of the others. An ongoing study by the American Medical Association says that racism is a threat to the nation's public health. And the president of Morris Brown College will be joining us to talk about the future of the university after they have now been accredited. Plus, we'll update you on the cases of Brianna Taylor and Kwan Charles, the uh, brother, young brother who was killed, found dead in Louisiana. Plus, another crazy-ass white woman in California pissed off that a black man and his dog moved into her neighborhood. <laughs> Y'all, she's truly nuts. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. Many of us were shocked and saddened by the death of Congressman John Lewis earlier this year. But the woman who won his seat uh, says she is certainly going to do her part uh, to uphold his legacy in Congress. She is Nakima Williams, and she joins us right now on Roland Martin Unfiltered. How you doing? Hey, Roland. Glad to be here. Uh, last time I saw you, of course, uh, we were at the Joe Biden rally in Atlanta. Had to keep a little distance from each other. Everybody was practicing safe distancing, wearing masks and all that good stuff. And so uh, good, to, good to see you first and foremost. Yeah, precisely, precisely. And so uh, that's, that's, why I that's why I wear uh, my, my show shirt uh, on my name. So people are like, who's that? I'm like, it's on the shirt. Like, read the shirt. Uh, so glad so glad to have I wore my little AKA sweater tonight. We could have been matching. Uh, hey, look, I, I, I'm always representing Alphas Plus. You know, the, the makers have their founders day today, but I, I, I got to remind them who's their daddy. So that's why I'm wearing my alpha stuff. So let's get let's get let's get right into it. First and foremost, uh, you you crush uh, Angela Stanton. Uh, she's been running out here talking about she's the niece of Dr. King and all kind of other stuff along those lines. Uh, and and it's been just a, the, the kind of mis misinformation uh, being spread. And, and and the Trump people really really thought uh, that Black Atlanta was somehow going to flip to their side uh, and vote for the craziness that we're we're seeing out of the Oval Office. So I mean, even today we saw that she's been on Twitter, which is her motivation, I guess. She's been on Twitter saying that I somehow cheated and she wants somebody to look into this election. And there's no way that I got this over 300,000 votes. Roland, I got more votes in this general election than any congressional candidate has ever gotten in the history of candidates in the state of Georgia. And she lost. People were not buying what she was trying to sell, and the 5th District is much smarter than what she considered or what Donald Trump could buy. And so I am thrilled to be here. I'm in Washington, D.C. right now at New Member Orientation while she continues to com complain at home on Twitter. Uh, I, I do find that to be hilarious, that, that, that she would claim. I mean, you crushed her. I don't think she even got 20% of the vote. But you know what, though? We've seen the same thing. Kim 
15, but who's counting? Right, right, who's counting? Uh, Kim Klaychik <laughs> got crushed by Kwasi and Fume. Uh, that fool out in California who got crushed by Congresswoman Maxine Waters, same thing. I mean, th these folks actually are, are tossing out, and, and, and what they're trying to do is they, they're doing what Donald Trump did from the outset in 2015, sow seeds of discontent. When they lose, oh, uh, we got cheated. It was all rigged. No, you just got your ass whooped. I mean, let's be clear, Roland. They were put in the race to do just this. They were put in the race not because Donald Trump expected them to win or he cares about uplifting the voices of black people. They were put in the race to suppress black votes so that they could continue to spew his hate and vitriol and try and keep black voters at home. And it didn't work. It, it, it didn't work, and, and, and you're seeing what they're doing. I mean, first of all, it, it's unbelievable to see what's happening in your state where the Republican Secretary of State has come out and said that he had a witness on the phone with him when Senator Lindsey Graham asked him to toss out legally cast ballots. Now Graham is saying, oh, no, uh, I call a number of other secretaries of state, but then the one in Arizona said, no, you did not call me. Uh, it's amazing how the lies are catching up uh, with these Trump people. The lies are catching up. Donald Trump is bringing his entire party down with him. When people show you who they are, we should absolutely believe them. Donald Trump is a liar, and he is making sure that we ex that he exposes all of the rest of his carnies along with him. I am confident when the recount is said and done, Joe Biden will still be on top, and he will get the 16 electoral college votes from Georgia. We have Yay. delivered for November, and we're going to do the same thing when we send your frat, Raphael Warnock, to the U.S. Senate, and we're going to send John Ossoff up with him. The so all, obviously all eyes are on Georgia, uh, and um, Fair Fight uh, and others are saying to folks, "Look, we don't need folks coming to Georgia. You can do do, do the stuff where you are." Um, what are you saying to people, folks who say, "I want to help. I want to register people. I want to raise money. I want to. I want to knock on doors. I want to go door to door." Because the Republicans are moving in massive numbers of people. Uh, they are about, they, look, the estimate is that $100 million will be spent on Georgia uh, over between now and January 5th. And so um, what is needed to support Warnock and Ossoff in Georgia? Are you there, Roland? Yep, and we're still here. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, so, so, yeah, so I was asking, uh, you know, what is needed uh, there? Uh, or will there be door-to-door -door canvassing? Uh, will, will, you know, uh, will there be socially distanced events as well? Uh, because, again, this is, I mean, historically, Democrats have gotten crushed in Georgia in runoff elections. Historically, that is very true, Roland, but historically, Democrats have not been winning for presidential candidates in Georgia either. So we just shocked the world when what we're able to do on November 3rd, and we are ready. We absolutely need volunteers from all across the country. We have an out-of-state volunteer program so that they can be a part of the collective groups that are working already on the ground, and we have in-state volunteers. There will be socially distanced rallies. We're going to mobilize our voters, but we're also going to keep people safe in the process. Republicans have yet to realize that this pandemic is real, but we do, and we're going to keep people safe while turning out the vote. So we, at, I'm the I'm the chairwoman of the Democratic Party of Georgia, first black woman to ever chair our state Democratic Party. I don't take this lightly. I don't take my responsibilities lightly, and we are mobilizing around the clock. We have our coordinated campaign where we're working for both candidates. And so if people can go to georgiademocrat.org, and they can get all of the ways that they can engage with the campaigns. 
Um, obviously, money is one thing, um, but also people can register uh, by December 7th. Uh, do y'all have an estimate of uh, what's the target goal uh, you're trying to hit? Uh, how many folks you want to be able to register uh, between now and December 7th? So there are a lot of organizations that are registering voters. The Democratic Party of Georgia, we're focused on people who requested absentee ballots and didn't get them back in for the November election. So we are focused. So we have a coordinated plan where we're allowing people who do the voter registration best to focus on that part of the work. And that is organizations like NAACP, organizations like the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda. There are a number, and New Georgia Project, they're doing massive voter registrations to make sure that people can get registered by the deadline, and we're moving forward with the direct candidate part of the work. Um, and so and so, speaking of that, uh, you know, w what is that strategy uh, in terms of uh, of, of laying it out. We were already seeing the negative ads coming out from uh, from from, uh, from Kelly Loeffler's camp. We're already seeing that. And so, um, look, this is not right now, frankly, about convincing voters. This is about turnout. This, 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 this is a 100 percent turnout effort. This is a turnout effort. We are calling on surrogates, Roland, like yourself, people that speak to sectors of our electorate that we need to mobilize trusted voices. We need them to lend their voice to Georgia to make sure that we are amplifying our message here in the state. So I am doing an all call. My contact information is on the Democratic Party of Georgia website. We have ways that you can sign up to be a surrogate to help us reach voters. We know that we need, this is, people are saying that we shouldn't nationalize this election. It's going to decide the balance of the United States Senate and what we're able to pass in Congress. If we're gonna be able to have a national response to this pandemic, what we're gonna, if we're gonna be able to get more help directly back into the hands of the American people, but we need a US Senate to do that. So this is absolutely going to affect the entire country. So I am calling on influencers from across the country to help us amplify our message here in Georgia. And let's get this done, y'all. Um, what is it that you want to accomplish uh, by heading to Congress uh, and filling uh, the seat long held by Congressman John Lewis? So each generation, Roland, has an obligation to not to move us one step closer to full equality. Congressman Lewis paved the way for us, opened up so many doors. But I know that just getting us back to where we were pre-2013 with Shelby V. Holder is not enough. We need to look at why is it harder for my sister to vote absentee in Alabama than it is for me to vote absentee in Georgia. This should be standardized across the board. Your voting rights should be standard across the board. Why is it some states' votes are being thrown out for one reason or another? So we need to make sure sure that we are focusing on voting rights and passing the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which the Senate still has not acted upon. But we also have to have a national response to this pandemic because it impacts us in so many ways, especially in the black community. It impacts our economy with so many people out of work, leaving the workforce. It affects our education system. My five-year-old son is doing kindergarten in front of a computer screen, and it didn't have to be this way. But we don't have leaders in Washington right now who are getting the job done. And it also affects our, our health care. We see that black people are disproportionately affected by this pandemic, and we've got to get this right. So voting rights and a national response to this pandemic, because that encompasses the economy, our education, and our health care. Um, obviously, a lot of people don't really, really understand members of Congress do. And so uh, specifically for your district, uh, what do you want to be able to do to improve uh, what's happening there? So, Roland, number one, I have requested um, to be on the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee because on that committee, I have the busiest airport in the world. That airport 
is the greatest generator of black wealth in the Southeast. We need to make sure that our airport is strong. We need to make sure that we have the resources that we need to amplify what we're doing here on the ground. And we need to make sure that we build upon that so that the economic engine of the Southeast um, continues to thrive. We also need to be looking at infrastructure needs because I, I had a bill in the state legislature that would make lead testing of water in schools a requirement. And the Republicans would not even give me a hearing on that bill. And being on transportation and infrastructure will give me the ability to dig deep into some of those issues, systemic issues that continue to impact our communities. I represent in the state Senate right now, Vine City, where we know that people have been going door to door testing their water and their soil for lead, but we couldn't get anything done on the state level. And so I'm excited about getting to Congress so that I can do things in my district, bring back money for my district, and make sure that we continue to be the economic engine of the Southeast. Um, all right, then. Uh, Congresswoman-elect Nakima Williams, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Uh, good luck. And uh, we will, of course, we'll be in Georgia. Uh, our goal is to uh, spend lots of time there uh, after Thanksgiving all the way through January 5th, uh, bringing uh, stories back to our folks and uh, covering what's happening uh, for black folks there in Georgia. Appreciate it, Roland. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right, folks, uh, now I want to bring in uh, my panel here, Kelly Bethea, communication strategist, Joseph Williams, senior editor, uh, U.S. News and World Report, Michael Brown, former vice chair, DNC Finance Committee. Uh, all eyes are indeed on Georgia, Joseph. Runoff dates is this here. The election will be January 5th. As I said, voters have until December 7th to register to vote. In-person voting will be starting on December 14th. There's only one word, turnout, and that is... Uh, supporters of Ossoff and Warnock are going to have to do every single thing they can, every single thing they can to push people to get them to turn out. They cannot rest on their laurels and hope they turn out. It, it is, has to be a turn. It has to be a turnout engine. Yeah, uh, that's absolutely right. I mean, uh, you look at the results from the presidential election and the turnout is there. The votes are there. Uh, and and doing uh, her massive job in getting the vote turnout. Stacey Abrams has even said that they may have left some votes on the table, some people who got registered, some people who didn't turn out, and some people who weren't registered or haven't been registered just yet. So she is suggesting that this is just the tip of the iceberg and uh, turnout they know is everything because the Republicans are not going to take this for granted. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of uh, speculation that one of the reasons why Trump is doing what he's doing in staying in office and refusing to concede and fighting all these ridiculous lawsuits in court is to keep the base turned up, to keep them engaged so that they will turn out. So there's no vote that can be left on the sidelines. Nothing can be taken for granted. Turnout is the name of the game. That's the, that's the bottom line. Well, the Secretary of State of Georgia said that 24,000 people, Michael, uh, voted in the GOP primary, did not vote in the general. Republicans are saying, man, if Donald Trump, uh, the Republicans are saying Donald Trump had not uh, complained about absentee balloting, he actually, he may have won Georgia if those folks had actually voted. Well, maybe. And before I answer the question, I want to thank you for wearing your sweater. Today is Omega Sci-Fi Founders Day. And thank you for representing. I know you're not going to disrespect my fraternity, but thank you very much. Alpha, <laughs> Alpha, Alpha is more than happy to see the folks that we birthed. I've <laughs> Ouch. I, I said you weren't going to be disrespectful when you were disrespectful. How disrespectful? I'm just stating a fact. Y'all came along five years after the fact. Who's your daddy? You know, as folks See, said, you should have just went ahead and answered the question and not open that up. But go on right ahead. 
folks said previous to me about this turnout election and the statistics. Obviously, folks are going to go to their computers and do all the analytics and and try to figure out, well, what district didn't vote, how many people voted in this district. But the, the, the bottom line is the voters that traditionally came out because they hate 45, they have to be just as engaged on January 5th. And that means, yes, it's boots on the ground, knocking on doors, commercials, all the traditional ways. But to really get under the skin of folks, they have, there almost has to also be a very slight and small education process for why this, these races matter. A lot of folks, you know, obviously the top of the ticket, everybody realizes the presidency is a, is a big election or even possibly the mayor of their particular city. But for the United States Senate is just as important um, because it has to do with agenda. It has to do with getting things done. It has to do with getting the kind of judges you want. And so folks have to understand that this is just as important as what happened on November 3rd as what's going to happen on January 5th. So it's not, yes, knocking on doors and boots on the ground, but also slight education to let folks know how important these races are. Uh, look, the Republicans are trying their best to keep sowing seeds of discontent, Kelly. Uh, two Republicans on the Wayne County uh, Board of Canvassers, uh, they uh, voted against certi certifying the election results. We're going to see more of this. I mean, we're dealing with whiners. Uh, and the bottom line is happening there. Uh, in, uh, in a second, I'm going to talk to Greg Pallast about votes that were tossed out that also balloting uh, that also mailed in, which is why we keep trying to explain to people, if you're going to vote by mail, you got to follow all of the rules so your ballots don't get tossed. Absolutely. But not only are we dealing with a bunch of whiners, we're dealing with a bunch of cheaters. And they are blatantly cheating. We see them in action, working very hard to cheat, um, not even to win, just to cheat somebody else out of win. So it, it's deplorable, and it's really embarrassing on behalf of the Republican Party, because why would you want to be associated with people who are that cowardly, you know? But um, on another note, uh, I just echo the sentiments of the panel here in that we just really need to get out the vote. I live in D.C., but I am more than willing to make some phone calls from here on behalf of Georgians, making sure that everybody knows what they're doing. I encourage everyone watching this to do the same. We do not have to be in the state in order to help the state, um, especially in the middle of a pandemic. There are plenty of ways to be safe, socially distanced, and make sure that the right people are in office to make sure that this country is running again and able to help Biden uh, with his agenda and making sure that America is, is equipped and, and ready for the next step, especially um, when it comes to coronavirus and making sure that it's eradicated altogether. Um, but yeah, the, the the Republican Party is just embarrassing at this point. And it is it is really really embarrassing. And in fact, I'm going to bring in investigative reporter Greg Palace right now. Greg, I'm looking at this here uh, again. Wayne County Board of Canvassers deadlock, and the Republican chair Monica Palmer actually said she will be open to certifying the vote quote in the communities other than than Detroit. <laughs> to certify everything but Detroit. Gee, what color are the people of Detroit? I, I don't know. Do you know? Do you have any hints? Do you have any idea the color of their ballots? Maybe bluish? What do you think? You know, look, we went through this before, and I'm very, by the way, this is no joke, because uh, the, the Trump campaign's gambit, as I've warned before, 
is to try to get states not to certify their ballots. Oh, there's so much fraud. There's so much confusion. Mail-in ballots, we can't figure it all out. They may have come from Mars. You know, you heard that from John Donnie Jr. Um, and so if they can get states to say we can't certify, oh, it's just too difficult. Um, if you can get Michigan to do that and you get Pennsylvania to do that um, and maybe uh, Georgia or Arizona with these Republican legislatures, uh, if they say then Joe Biden doesn't get 260, 270 electoral votes, neither does Trump. But under the 12th Amendment to the Constitution, if those states don't certify, it goes to the House, goes to the House of Representatives, not Pelosi. She doesn't pick uh, the president out of her sorting hat. It's one state, one vote. South Carolina and South Dakota get one the same vote as New York and California. And uh, the Republicans control at least 26 delegations. So that is the, the Hail Mary pass. That's their last desperate attempt to uh, thwart the voters. I'm very concerned. So let's talk about um, your contention that John Ossoff won? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm looking, you know, look, I'm a statistician. I've been working now in Georgia for seven years, starting in 14, when I first got Stacey Abrams on national TV for the first time. I've been looking at how they're handling their voter rolls and the, and the count of the mail-in ballots. So first of all, um, the ACLU and Black Voters Matter issued my report that I already 198,000 Georgians were illegally removed from the voter rolls in the two years before the election, 198,000. And that included, as, as you know, people have seen, uh, some people have seen my uh, little film put out by Leonardo DiCaprio. It's Martin Luther King's 92-year-old cousin. We've got, uh, you know, uh, broadcaster Raheem Shabazz, um, Ashley Jones, all these voters of color who I was down at the polling stations were thrown out of the polling stations saying you can't vote. You've lost your registration. 198,000, that's huge. And if they'd been allowed to vote, it would be all over. But there's another uh, steal that I'm looking at. And Kelly's correct about, um, you know, they're cheaters, which is the non-count of mail-in ballots. Now, we've warned about this. You know, uh, MIT, Caltech said that even before this election, 22% of mail-in ballots never get counted. Uh, people don't get their ballots on time so that they can't return them. I had a Georgia voter just send me a note saying, I mailed my ballot 10 days in advance. They say they didn't receive it till after the election. I lost my vote. But the other is that there's all kinds of cockamamie reasons to disqualify mail-in ballots, absentee ballots. Uh, you, they, you didn't have the internal ballot. You have to have two envelopes. A lot of people forget to put in that second envelope or got torn. They didn't put it in. That's called a naked ballot. You lose your vote. Your signature didn't match, um, didn't uh, match uh, your uh, registration signature. Now, in, in America, we had 141,000 people uh, not have their votes counted. Now, those weren't stolen ballots that were forged. We don't have uh, hundreds of thousands of people being arrested for forgery. They're just using this as an excuse. Non-experts, boogaloo boys, uh, Republican operatives are saying, I don't like that signature, and those ballots are being tossed. So I'm trying to check with Georgia. Now, normally, this stuff, Roland, is very public. You know, you're supposed to know how many mail-in ballots there are, how many were counted, how many were not counted, why they're disqualified. They have to report this to the federal government. However, 
I'm not getting any responses out of Georgia that you're supposed to have. So I did get the, the total from Gwinnett County, which is uh, one of the big counties that make up Atlanta. And I found out, are you ready? 30% of the mail-in ballots were disqualified, rejected. 30%? 30%. Now, I have to say, that's one county out of uh, over 150 counties in Georgia. It's one of the biggest. We're having trouble getting the numbers from the other counties. Now, Gwinnett's always had problems with mail-in voting, so that, that might be a high number. But if it's even 10% or 20%, and remember that overwhelmingly mail-in ballots were Democratic because the Democratic Party pushed the mail-in ballots. Republicans told their voters, don't vote uh, by mail. And we know from the counts in many, many states, uh, in, in uh, for example, in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, we know those mail-in ballots are just crushingly uh, Biden ballots, which would also mean in Georgia, Ossoff and Warnock ballots. Now, because Reverend Warnock was in a three-way race, there's no way he could avoid a runoff uh, in the so-called jungle primary. However, John Ossoff was just that close to being over the top, just a smidge from walking away with the election without a need of a runoff. And I, you know, the, the numbers, I'm a statistician, between the purge voters and the votes rejected in the mail, I don't see how Ossoff, if you count the ballots that were thrown out, if they were reviewed, I think you would find an Ossoff victory. So, so, so what must we do to walk people through, to get them to do, do what's necessary so they don't have their ballots tossed out? Okay, number one, check your registration. Now, if you showed up and you voted, but they gave you a provisional ballot, that means you are not registered. Uh, you've got to register by December 7th. Go to Secretary of State's website, register online. Don't go to an office and register on a piece of paper. Register online and do it right away because in Georgia they have to, quote, verify your signature and registration, which is crazy. Most states don't do that before you register, but Georgia does. So you got to do it now. That's one. December 7th is the deadline, but I would check it now. The other if you didn't vote and you're not sure, you think you've been registered, I just told you about, I've said, you know, Martin Luther King's 92-year-old cousin was thrown off the voter rolls. She was attempting, when I was there, I watched this, attempting to vote for her 50th year in Atlanta. And they said, you're no longer registered here. So please check if you're on, among the 198,000 who've been purged. You don't know it. I mean, they, they say claim they send uh, most, not everyone, but they said they sent out postcards to most people. You don't see it. It's junk mail. So you don't know if you're still registered unless you absolutely had your ballot accepted. And you have to be very careful about that. If you're a center provisional ballot or if you don't know, if you didn't vote in the general election, you better register, re-register right now. If you move down the street, the law says if you move within your county in Georgia, you don't have to re-register. But if you don't re-register, chances are they're going to block you. It doesn't matter what's fair or what's right or what's the law. It's Georgia. Law doesn't, you know, we have a National uh, Voter Registration Act, a national law. It seems to bounce off the Georgia borders. And that's, you know, I'm very concerned because now you have the right wing, uh, you have the, the Trumpites and Lindsey Graham saying, oh, the Secretary of State of Georgia allowed uh, all these illegal ballots. Well, that's, everyone knows that's nonsense. They can't show us a single, not one single bad ballot. But what we're missing here is that that same Secretary of State of Georgia, Raffens Perger, Perger's his name, really, um, 
he's blocked legal voters from voting, and his rules have stopped legal votes from being counted. So no, there's no fraud by voters, but there's fraud upon the voters, especially voters of color. It's overwhelming. When I was down in Georgia, every voter that was blocked from the voter rolls was a voter of color. Well, Greg, we're going to stay on top of this, constantly reminding people what must be done there in Georgia to make sure it doesn't happen again uh, in this all-important critical runoff, these two races that will take place on January 5th. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Okay. See you at gregpalace.com to check your registration. All right. Thank you, sir. Keep, it. keep it up. All right, folks, uh, you are seeing so, so much attention again on this race. Uh, and one of the things that Raphael Warnock is doing is beating back a lot of the attack cast by Kelly Leffler. Uh, but also, again, speaking to... Um, uh, voters there of faith. He, of course, is the senior pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church. Uh, here's a video that, camp, that they put together um, that actually speaks to... Uh, no, I'm going to play him on iPad, folks, not that one. I'll play it here. This is, um, again, something they put together here. I want you to check this out. It didn't matter what day of the week it was. Come 6 a.m., my dad would come through that door and say, put your shoes on, son, get ready. If I asked why... He'd say, because there's something for you to do. I don't know exactly what it is yet, but be ready. I'm Reverend Raphael Warnock, and I've spent my entire life trying to be ready. I grew up right here in the Caton Homes housing projects of Savannah, Georgia. I had 11 sisters and brothers. We were short on money, but long on love and faith. Our parents taught us the value of hard work. Dad was a veteran a small businessman and a preacher. He spent most days picking up old junk cars that others had thrown away and hauling them to the local steel yard. He saw their value. And then Sunday morning, he preached to people who themselves felt discarded. He saw value in them too. Mom grew up in Waycross, Georgia, where she spent her summers picking cotton and tobacco. But she told us that we could do anything that we put our minds to. And so, with the love of my parents and the encouragement of my community, I went to Morehouse College on a full faith scholarship. I didn't know how I would pay for it, but I graduated college, earned a PhD degree, and 14 years ago, the kid who grew up in the projects was called to Martin Luther King Jr.'s pulpit. I became the senior pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church. Change still has a chance in the church that changed America. He's senior pastor of one of the most prominent churches in America. Raphael Warnock not only preaches the gospel, but uses it as a platform for change. Dr. King called it the drum major instinct, the urge to lead. Warnock has it and a sense of his place in this place. Some might ask why a pastor thinks he should serve in the Senate. Well, I've committed my whole life to service and helping people realize their highest potential. I've always thought that my impact doesn't stop at the church door. That's actually where it starts. And I love this country. And I believe that what makes America so great is that we've always had a path to make it greater. Greater for people like the ones I've counseled at my church and others like them across this state. Like my father used to tell me every morning, whatever it is, be ready. And I think Georgia is ready. Ready to stand up for the family who's tried to do everything right when they receive one bad medical diagnosis, they realize that the cost of being sick is too much. Ready to fight for the dignity of workers who are paid too little and pushed aside as government works for Wall Street corporations. 
ready because I realize that a kid who grows up in the projects today and struggling families across Georgia have it harder now than I did back then. I'm Reverend Raphael Warnock, and I'm ready. I'm ready to be your senator. So you see that ad right there, uh, Michael, and the Republicans, they're going, Marxist, socialist, oh my God, How do not elect this crazy, deranged man. It's interesting because I saw a different kind of commercial. I saw a commercial with a person uh, that has the qualifications, has the uh, clearly understanding about what service is all about, especially after the last four years, uh, where the person at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue has no idea uh, what public service means. I see a person that's committed uh, to helping people, and he's using God to help him uh, find his pathway. And I think that is... Uh, exactly uh, what is needed. So I, I disagree with those folks on the right uh, that claim whatever they claim, whatever labels and tags they want to put on them. Uh, they're going to do the best they can to distract him, to distract the voters. Uh, and hopefully uh, the reverend will keep uh, keep strong. And, and as Kelly mentioned, I, I live in D.C. as well. And whatever uh, I can do to help in the state of Georgia, uh, I will I will be there to help. Uh, the, uh, bu the book author, as well as filmmaker, Don Winslow, has been using his own money to put together uh, various ads uh, supporting Democratic candidates. He put this one together here, featuring actor Jeff Bridges, uh, speaking to, again, what needs to happen in Georgia. I want you to watch this, and then we'll come back and talk about it. I am America. We rise or we fall together. This is a critical moment in the history of our country. So many people are depending on us. They want us to forget they're still trying to take away our health care in the middle of a pandemic. Let me breathe. I'm running. Uh, so that ordinary people can have a path of prosperity. Let me be who I want to be, where I want to be it. Let me be free. Give me your child. I am tired. Give me your poor. But I am strong. Give me your hand. I'll be here. Because I, I know. who badly need to be replaced. That uh, 
That's a hell of an ad right there, Kelly. It's very moving. Um, incredibly emotional because it's right. America really does need Georgia, and it has since Georgia has been a state even beforehand. So the fact that we are are pushing and and really demanding change um, nationwide, and it all falls, it all comes down to Georgia, right? Um, like the saying and the song goes, Georgia is on everybody's mind right now. So when it comes to these two men who are running for Senate, I personally do not understand why uh, the two Republicans are even being considered, especially during times as this, where they were found to literally be investing um, money into that that is not in the interest of their own constituents. They were padding their pockets and banking on their pockets being filled while their constituents die. And when uh, Ossoff and Purdue were in that debate, Purdue did not have an answer because there's no reputable answer to be had. There's no there's nothing that is excusable for such behavior. So when we see these ads and we see the records of these two senators and then we see the the reputation being laid out between Ossoff and Warnock, it's a really easy choice for me if I were Georgian to, to vote for the two Democratic senators because their entire platform, their entire career path mm -hmm. has been dedicated to the service of the state and the service of their respective uh, jurisdiction. We don't have that kind of example out of the Republican side. So for, for it, it's an easy choice, in, in my opinion, to vote for the Democratic side of things. And it's also an easy choice for people who are outside of Georgia to do whatever they can possible to make sure that these two men get into the Senate seat so we can get things done in the Senate and for America at large. You spoke of the um, uh, the uh, the insider trading allegations against uh, Purdue and Leffler, the folks at Really American, put together this ad highlighting that very thing. Watch this. Before we all knew how dangerous COVID would be, Georgia Senators David Perdue and Kelly Leffler got a secret briefing on it. But instead of helping Georgia prepare, the millionaire Republicans made themselves even richer. On the same day of the Senate briefing, Purdue bought stock in a personal protective equipment company. Leffler sold millions of dollars in stock the same day of the briefing, then bought stock in a company that makes work-from-home software. Financial disclosure forms show that Loeffler sold up to $3.1 million in stock over three weeks after being privately briefed in the Senate on coronavirus. Records show that Purdue did purchase stock in Pfizer, a pharmaceutical company now developing a coronavirus vaccine. Purdue, who is worth almost $16 million, and Leffler, who has more than $500 million, were playing the stock market on inside information instead of helping Georgians. They shouldn't be in the Senate. They should be in prison. Vote them out on January 5th. Joseph, in that uh, debate, as Kelly said, David Perdue had no answer. And, of course, it's no shock. He's already decided he is not going to debate John Ossoff again. Uh, uh, first of all, Kelly uh, Leffler has accepted the invitation from the, from the Atlanta Press Club to debate uh, Raphael Warnock on December 6th. Well, it's interesting that she's stepping up where Purdue has not. And I think that's because Kelly Leffler has got a lot more to lose than Purdue does. 
uh, she is facing uh, basically a, a, a tribunal, a, a, a test of the New South, right? We've been hearing about it for decades, about whether or not the Southern, uh, uh, the Southern Wall, like the Great Wall of the South, is ready to crack, and Georgia looks like it's about ready to do that. I mean, it's clearly the, the, the uh, result of the presidential <laughs> election indicates almost as much. Uh, and, and, and that's the other thing that we have going on here is that there are a lot of people in Georgia who are very excited about this race. Uh, and those people aren't the Republicans, mainly because you get a lot of meddling from Washington uh, trying to, to influence the outcome of the election. And that's not really a, a strategy that's going to win over many people in the public. Uh, and also, there are many analytics that say uh, Georgia uh, and its runoff system, what happens is the Republican vote tends to fall off a cliff during most runoffs, uh, especially when you have a Republican in the White House and after the election, the, 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 the motivation for Republican voters kind of trails away. But from all I've been hearing and all I've been seeing on, on some of the stuff that I've been reporting on, it's still quite high for, for, for Democrats in Georgia. Uh, Stacey Abrams is telling people to keep the pedal to the metal. And those ads uh, pretty much speak to, to the nature of, of, of South and as, a, as an agent for change. And I'm thinking of Maynard Jackson. I'm thinking of uh, some other people who um, came out of the South, uh, African-American politicians who came out of the South, when they weren't expected to, to indicate that white people are re ready and willing to, to vote for a, a man of color or a woman of color, for that matter, to send them to Congress and Washington to represent their interests, particularly against two Republicans who appear to be corrupt. Folks, we're going to uh, now, of course, we're looking at, again, all the data and all the data points. Now, the National Coalition of Black Civic Participation, they conducted a national exit poll that looked at, among other things, the key issues of importance to black voters in the 2020 election. Here are some of the results. 74% of the respondents said the number one issue they want President-elect Joe Biden to address is a plan to reduce structural racism. Tied for number two at 61.8% and 63.3% are policing and criminal justice reform and a plan to eradicate COVID-19. The third priority at 58.7% is protecting services like Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. Overall, those priorities were the same for women, men, Gen Z, and millennials. Joining us right now is Melanie Campbell, Executive Director of the NCEO, the National Coalition on Black Civic Participation. Melanie, glad to have you back on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Any surprises for you uh, in this exit polling data? Um, no. Uh, uh, I will say one, one. One surprise. I I expected there to be some uh, variation between black women and black men um, and, and the generations. But uh, actually, uh, for all generations, it was pretty much close to the same thing. It was maybe a one, one and a half percent, nothing of any significance. So that was a little surprising. Uh, quite frankly. But what we were excited about is that in this poll that we had uh, about a third of the respondents were black men. And so it was really helpful to be able to see uh, that, you know, issues are, are, are not what may uh, divide some of our decisions about who we vote for. And that, that these uh, issues of life or death, uh, economic concerns as well, when you saw the information around uh, even uh, lowering taxes and things like that, uh, uh, are pretty much the same. So, of course, the messages have to be nuanced because uh, none of us are monolith. But it was good to see that we were really close uh, around the issues of concern. And Georgia, by the way, uh, had a significant uh, oversampling in Georgia and Michigan uh, and Pennsylvania in that poll. So, um, so, so breakdown number one, though. How do break, they... Break, uh, how, racism. 
Okay, okay, that's like very broad. So were folks specific in terms of what specifically were they looking for Biden-Harris to do? Uh, no, you know, we didn't uh, have the ability to go lower than uh, giving them very variations of issues. But they had they had at least ten issues to decide to how they wanted to rate, and those and, the, and what you see out of that comes one, two, and three. And no matter how we ask the question, um, this the number one issue was a plan to eradicate structural racism. When you ask the question about what you want the president, uh, the, whoever gets elected as president. Of the United States would do. Uh, 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 we asked the question about how is this impacting you personally, you and your family? Racism still and rising hate crimes. Uh, how uh, the number one issue when it comes to black with black community. And so when we look at that that data, and then we look at the data we released in September with the Essence poll. And the other thing, Roland, is this poll uh, because we were uh, our many of the precincts that we work in, our, our folks on the ground working are in low performing uh, areas, more low income areas. Uh, this poll had more people who were who uh, had made twenty five thousand dollars or less a year. The the essence poll is uh, um, is, is higher. It comes uh, uh, black women who are middle income primarily who respond. So it gave us and, and we're going to go deeper in the data. I'm working with Dr. Elsie Scott with the Ron Walters uh, Leadership Policy Center, uh, Dr. Avis Jones Weaver and other Holly Holiday and other sisters uh, who are part of our research team to go even deeper. Uh, in, in each of these states, uh, not just for what's happening in the immediate, but for the long haul, and really go a little deeper to find out more. So we're going to likely do a, some kind of poll on January 5th in Georgia, for example, where we may be able to go a little deeper uh, with that poll, because we've already done the top line, to see what else we can find out. One of the things that... The reason I asked that, because I think the problem is... Um, if we don't be as specific as possible, frankly, folks could say, well it, well, it didn't happen. Well, I mean, addressing systemic racism is kind of broad. Uh, and right. so, I, so I, I think it's important to drill down further on that particular point. Yeah. I, th I think, and I agree with you, but I also, I will, and I would say, and not but, but, and also, uh, because of what we've been addressing, we know that uh, there's some, um, uh, uh, when you talk about criminal justice and policing reform, that's an issue around that's also impacted by systemic racism. You're talking about COVID-19. There's an element of that. We know that African-Americans and uh, black and brown folks are more impacted when it comes to um, the issue around uh, higher mortality rates. Uh, if you talk about any kind of major issues, economic issues, there's a level of that. One of the things that we, we are looking at when we use this data is also to look at how we engage the next this, uh, administration that we helped elect uh, in President-elect uh, Biden and, and Vice President-elect Harris to look at government structure on how we are going to address some of these things when it comes to contracting, and, you know, when it comes to contracting, how we look at some of these things so it's not some siloed issue. Uh, and I haven't had a chance to really go deep in looking at uh, all of the transition things, but we're looking at all of that to see what um, what ways we can uh, make folks see that their, their vote did matter uh, uh, faster than, yeah, the broader issue of structural racism. But there are elements of, of um, issues that, that, that you can address that are also tied to racial uh, injustice in this country. All right, then. Um, Melanie Campbell, always a pleasure. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very Thank much. You.
All right. Thank you. All right, folks. Got to go to the break. We come back. We'll talk about coronavirus. We'll also chat with the president of Morris Brown College. What is next for them with this news of them getting accreditation? All of that on Bull and Martin Unfiltered. Back in a moment. And we've had a lot of pain in this country. People were disappointed and they didn't, they were saying, no, it's not going to matter. What I didn't like is when young people said it. And I can understand if you've had a really difficult life and you're imagining the whole system's corrupted and why would it work for me? But there were people just lazy and they were just regurgitating the things that they had heard on a radio or in the barbershop or something somebody had told them. They hadn't thought about it. It's, you know, one of the reasons why I think democracy is uh, in danger is because people don't know how to think. So you can tell them anything. Trump can show up and say anything. And they can just go, oh, yeah. You know, he just called you stupid. Did you hear that? Oh, 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 but he's for us. Really? Senator in particular irks me. A Senator Kelly Loeffler, not elected, but appointed just a couple months ago. Records show Loeffler and her husband, whose company owns the U.S. Stock Exchange, sold stock valued between $1.3 and $3.1 million. Kelly Loeffler bought and sold stock shortly after a classified briefing on the virus. They knew the market was going to tank, and they sold based on that inside information. Some of the holdings she shed were in energy, automotive, retail, and airlines. Look, Ray, it's not just what she sold, but it's actually what she bought. They bought things like Amazon, Citrix Systems, company that obviously was going to do well during a shutdown while still reassuring citizens that the U.S. was prepared. We have Americans across the country who have seen their 401ks plummet. Were you trading on inside information about what was coming? Folks, this woman is knee-deep in the swamp and she just got there. I'm John Ossoff, and the path to recovery is clear. First, we listen to medical experts to control this virus. Then we shore up our economy with stronger support for small businesses and tax relief for working families. And it's time for a historic infrastructure plan to get people back to work and invest in our future. We need leaders who bring us together to get this done. And that's why I approve this message. Fifty-three million white women who voted for Trump in the last presidential election were yielding to those dark forces that are invisible but are visible if we want to make them visible. And so our movement sought to make those forces visible so that we could see them and then we could dissolve them. We could fight back. We could resist. We could create an alternative vision of what we can become. Folks, Morris Brown College recently announced that the school's accreditation application with the Transnational Association of Christian Colleges and Schools has been approved. This is a major step toward receiving full accreditation since having it revoked by the Southern Association of Colleges and Schools in 2002 due to debt and financial mismanagement. Joining me now with more, Dr. Kevin James is the president of Morris Brown College. Uh, Doc, how you doing? I'm doing just fine. How about yourself? Uh, doing great. So walk us through this in terms of, so getting this, does it mean that you are accredited or does it mean that you still have to go through the other association to get full accreditation? Oh, this is just the beginning, uh, Roland. We submitted our accreditation application uh, in June of this year. And we just received approval last week that the application has been approved. Uh, the next step was for us to submit our self-study 
which basically is us literally writing a book on ourselves regarding how we met all of the IER requirements, which is a synonym for what they deem as quality. Um, now that we've submitted all of these things, the Transnational Association of Christian Colleges and Schools, their representatives will be coming down here in January basically to confirm everything that we said that we are, um, to, to ve basically verify that we're an institution of quality. And once that is completed, we anticipate going before their board in April of 2021 um, for their consideration of candidacy. Once we're eligible um, for candidacy, we would then be eligible for federal financial aid, which is the big deal for students, uh, being able to get student loans to be able to attend Morris Brown. This is historic work. No HBCU has ever come back 20 years after losing its accreditation. And so this is historic work, and we're just so excited here at Morris Brown. What, um, I mean, obviously there were, there were all kinds of drama, uh, debt, financial issues that led to being pulled. Um, what is your position now? Uh, and that is uh, also, you never, Morris Brown never shut down, but what is the condition right. of buildings? How many students do you think you'll be able to service? What type of majors? Things along those lines. Sure. Very good. Well, so during bankruptcy, we lost a, a large portion of our land. Currently, we have about six, seven acres left. Three buildings. One building is operational. Uh, we have programs under three umbrellas. Business, psychology and music. And so we anticipate being able to offer these degree programs um, as we uh, reacquire land and the like, online learning will be critically important to our restoration. Um, so we anticipate um, having phenomenal online programs, but we still will be a historically black college and be a cultural historically black college uh, here in Atlanta. So um, regarding Regarding our financial position, the institution is in a much better place. Uh, we worked with the AME Church. We were founded by the AME Church um, for them to forgive the debt that we owed them. Um, we owed them about $4.2 million. And so uh, this administration worked with the African Methodist Episcopal Church and convinced them to forgive that debt. And so technically the institution is basically debt-free now, and we're in a much better financial position uh, as we move the institution forward. How are you going to compete, though? I mean, you're there. Uh, I mean, you're, already, you're there in Atlanta. Uh, yes. you, you, of course, you have, um, you got Morehouse, you got Spelman, you got Clark Atlanta. But, but, yes. in, but in addition to that, you're also dealing with Georgia State University uh, that yes. has a significant black uh, student population as well. And so you, in a competitive environment, uh, you talked about, you say, three buildings, one operational. Uh, and so, uh, you know, how are you going to position? What is going to be your story, your narrative, to make someone want to come to Morris Brown after not having his accreditation over the last 18 years? Yes. Well, quite frankly, our narrative is going to be the outputs that we have. We're going to have phenomenal faculty. We already have phenomenal faculty. We're going to increase uh, our faculty presence. We're going to uh, build upon our existing academic programs. You know, the good thing about Morris Brown is uh, we've been able to go through what I call the hard reset. And do, through this reset, um, the institution is basically able to rewrite its own story. Um, regarding being competitive, I'm not trying to compete with my brother and sister institutions uh, here in Atlanta, um, but we want to just 
be an addition to the AUC Center. Um, we're going to have phenomenal academic programs. We've already uh, rewritten some of our programs, such as hospitality and management. We've started Georgia's first esports performance degree program, which is very competitive. Um, and so we just we intend on being a, a top HBCU here. And we're going to be able to compete through the academic story, the academic programs and offerings, and the students' uh, culture um, and services that we're going to be able to offer. All right, Dr. Kevin James, President of Morehouse College. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you, sir. All right, thank you very much. I want to go to my panel here, uh, and that is this here. Uh, Joseph, with this Biden-Harris administration coming in, uh, the, the reality is for HBCUs, like many, many institutions dealing with what's happening in this COVID world, uh, one of the areas that people are people are being forced to accelerate in many ways. Uh, Dr. Greg Carr has talked about this here. That Howard had to really accelerate when it came to online learning. I mean, the, to me, uh, what coronavirus, what, what this moment has done, uh, I think it has caused a massive, a massive... Um, review of how businesses, corporations, small businesses, government, how we work. And I'm telling you, I, I don't think we're going to be remotely the same um, once we uh, move out of this international pandemic. I think that's accurate. I mean, I was on a panel today where we were talking about education and there's been a seismic shift. Not a lot of these things that we're doing right now are going to stay the way we're doing them. We're probably not going to go back to an exclusive classroom-only model. And uh, here in D.C., everywhere you look, you see advertisements for Penn State, for Wesleyan College, for Temple College, online universities where you can get your uh, advanced degree from the comfort of your own home. And now that's a reality for many undergraduates. So certainly for Morse Ground to offer an eSports uh, degree, that kind of uh, opened my eyes a little bit. And I think that's a nod towards the future. But a lot of HBCUs are kind of lagging behind in that, in that area. One would hope that with Kamala Harris uh, in the White House, she'd be a very fierce advocate for HBCUs. You also have uh, Dr. Jill Biden, a uh, community college professor, that between the two of them, they would recognize the fact that education is shifting. The landscape is not going to look the same as it did before pandemic. And we certainly don't know exactly what the future is. But you have two people who have very, you know, uh, Vice President-elect Harris, who has HBCUs near and dear to her heart uh, and, is, and campaigned and was proud of her HBCU lineage. Uh, and Dr. Harris, who knows that education at a traditional PWI or at a four-year school isn't for everyone, you think that those two might be able to team up and either move uh, the president or whoever you might name as the education secretary to try to look at these uh, programs, fund some money, find some money. Uh, during the conversation with, with, with the president, Morris Brown, I'm constantly reminded in my head that HBCUs have a fraction of the endowments of even the smallest uh, PWI. So they're going to need money. They're going to need targeted plans. They're going to need a lot of help in Washington if they're to make their transition to the 21st century. Uh, bottom line here, uh, Kelly, that's what this really is, is all about. And I think if, you, if you're if you an HBCU president, if you're an administrator, you really right now uh, are, are thinking not in terms of really um, uh, the next um, six months, but really uh, what is 2021 going to look like, 2022? And, and I think that uh, I just don't think that we're going to be uh, returning back to this normal and this really going to be the case in education. I don't think that we're going to return to what used to be normal either. Um, but that's okay 
again, like uh, Joseph was saying, we just need to adapt and move forward. And that look, what that looks like uh, on the federal end is is investment. It looks like an active investment into this sect of education. I'm a proud HBCU grad. I went to Bowie State University. And even in the time that I was there, obviously this was before COVID, there were a lot of changes on that campus that were made possible just by funding alone, just by the state itself paying attention and seeing that we are actually producing some of the best yeah. and the brightest in the country and investing in us. And we were also part of the uh, lawsuit, HBC lawsuit for Maryland, making sure that the state is held accountable for the wrongs committed against us through de jour segregation and literally taking our programs away. And Maryland um, has four HBCUs um, in the entire state, but we are no different from the HBCUs across the country in that we are typically overlooked and taken for granted as just another school, not realizing that we produce more than half of all professional uh, 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 professional uh, jobs in, in the country. Um, we produce the most doctors, the most lawyers, the most teachers, the most nurses. Um, just pick something out there that is that is looked at as a a a lucrative career field and HBCUs when it comes to black production of these uh, of these professionals HBCUs are at the top of that list when it comes to who is actually graduating right. those black students. But but I think here, so Michael, we I definitely I, need to invest. But I think Michael, what what you're going to be contending with again is is. is Folks are going to have to understand, again, th this notion of a whole different world. And, and I think that we're really going to be have, to have to examine that, then what does it look like? And look, right now, this whole conversation about student debt, that's also going to be a deal because here's the piece. Why in the hell am I paying the amount of money I'm paying for a degree to university and I'm getting it online? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I've certainly nothing... Uh... Wonderful to say after what the, the panel has just said, but you know, as a my mom was a proud uh, Fisk University grad, and my my children uh, are products of FAMU in Florida, and so uh, the HBCU making sure that they have uh, a future, um, and obviously economics has mostly to do with that future, and and John is right relative to uh, you know obviously elections have consequences. And now that uh, Dr. Biden and, and Vice President-elect Harris are going to hopefully form a very positive uh, HBCU outreach program with finances and resources behind it, and I'm, I'm, I'm certainly hoping that uh, my law school professor, uh, Vice uh, President-elect Biden, uh, endorses their plan. But we have to also figure out how to how HBCUs can also recruit better. And I'm not talking recruit relative to athletes. I'm talking recruits, as Kelly was talking about, the half of the uh, workforce is to continue that to make sure the best and the brightest students choose HBCUs uh, for their education. Uh, that's going to be important. And then the second piece is going to have, well, it's certainly a large piece of it. Anything has to be legislative and, and maybe approaching uh, the Republican senators that have HBCUs in their states. And I know they've been very reluctant for, uh, for heavy funding. They do a little bit just so they can say, hey, I, 
I, I signed on to a bill to contribute to HBCUs. But really, if you're going to do a major transformation, you really need some of these Republican senators. Now, obviously, whether it, you know, what happens on January 5th relative to the Georgia runoff, but we need to make sure that it's a, a bipartisan effort uh, to protect HBCUs. Uh, speaking of coronavirus today, folks, there are a total of 11,136,253 cases of COVID-19 in the U.S. 246,232 people have died from this. In fact, uh, uh, Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa, the oldest Republican in the chamber, 87 years old, has announced that he has tested positive for COVID-19. And Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases at the National Institutes of Health, said yesterday that the Trump administration's refusal to begin a transition of presidential power could not only harm the federal coronavirus response, but might also stall the rollout of potential vaccines. Huh. Friday, there were more than 177,000 new infections, the latest single-day peak. And, and the thing that's interesting here is that when you talk about the, the, you know, the, the lack of responsibility, uh, and, and I, I, I really get a kick out of these Republicans uh, who talk about responsibility. We need personal responsibility uh, when it comes to uh, these masks. Well, th this was yesterday on the floor of the United States Senate where um, Ohio Senator Sherrod Broad, Brown, let's just say he had some choice words for the senator from Alaska who was sitting uh, in the, uh, in the uh, speaker's chair. Without objection. President. Senator from Ohio. I'd start by asking the presiding officer to please wear a mask as he speaks and people below him are, I can't tell you what to do, but I know that the behavior. I don't wear a mask when I'm speaking like most senators. Well, I, most senators. So I'll, I'll on, but I don't need your instruction from. I anyone. know you don't need my instruction, but I, there clearly isn't much interest in this body in public health. We have a president who hasn't shown up at the coronavirus task force meeting in months. We have a majority leader that calls us back here to vote on an unqualified nominee and, and at the same time to vote for judge after judge after judge, exposing all the people who can't say anything, I understand, the people in front of you and the presiding officer, and expose all the staff here, and the, the majority leader just doesn't seem to care. Mr. President, the American people sent a clear message in this election. They voted for stability. They rejected an administration that has failed them in the middle of a public health crisis and an economic crisis. People want a government that works for them and is on their side. My colleagues in both parties know this. I know some of you feel like you have to humor the outgoing president, continue to make excuses for him, continue to run from the media when they might ask a question about your opinion on the president. But you know that Joe Biden won, and you won. Most of you won your elections, including the presiding officer, fair and square on the same ballot. You don't have to play along with the tweets and the chaos. He threatened the Republican governor of Ohio today, for instance, because the governor of Ohio, I think he said the term vice president, or term, term president-elect Biden, that offended the president. But you don't have to play along with the tweets and the chaos and the crazy anymore. We need to move on. We need to actually deliver for the people who voted for us and put their faith in us. The last thing we should be doing is granting Trump one last wish, wish, one more opportunity to salt the earth on his way out. The Federal Reserve is supposed to be a steady, guiding hand making sure our economy actually delivers for the people who make it work. They're supposed to worry about the big picture of the economy so hardworking families don't have to. 
but Judy Shelton, and most of my colleagues know this. I've talked to many of them. You know, she believes the opposite. That's why. You know, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy, Joseph. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't have to wear a mask, you know. Uh, and then Ted Cruz, like, well, you know, Sheriff Brown, he's no one's around him in 50 feet. The dude's like, dude, stuff still travels. What the hell is wrong with you? You just had a senator, Chuck Grassley, say, uh, test positive. So he's sitting here, let's say he was in the well of the Senate and just talking away and just is just spewing COVID droplets all, all throughout the air. Well, it's happened. I mean, it, it's happened. I think uh, Grassley is maybe the third senator, perhaps the fourth or even fifth, who have, who have been diagnosed positive with COVID. And Grassley is one of the oldest senators in the chamber, as you said. So his risk is extraordinarily high. I don't understand why masks equal freedom, while lack of wearing masks equal freedom, and while they, they suggest tyranny because you're just trying to stay healthy and trying to keep other people healthy, it's remained a mystery and it's probably going to stay that way because uh, it's not going to change anytime soon, I don't think. Uh, no, I mean, I mean, what you're dealing with, you're really dealing with uh, folks who just, I mean, they, they don't give a damn, Kelly. They, they, they don't care. Uh, really what's going on. We could talk about these exploding numbers and uh, the orders that are coming down from California and New York State and Michigan and Ohio, whatever. Their whole deal is like, ah, whatever, y'all just go ahead and do what you want to do as if nothing is really going on. And, and I mean, we, I was reading earlier today testimony from, uh, testimony today from a nurse who was talking about being in Texas, how she quit because she said, I simply could not take the sheer amount of death in one week. I, I have no words, and I could not imagine just how overwhelmed and, frankly, defeated our heroes are in hospitals and clinics and, and, and the, the facilities that actually have to see this death day in and day out. It is beyond traumatic. And that is one of the things that concern me post-pandemic, frankly, because everybody's talking about, you know, we're almost at a quarter million death. Yes, we have 11 million uh, uh, cases in, in the U.S., yes. But at the same time, what about the people who are taking care of these patients? And what about the people who are literally the last thing that these uh, victims of this disease see? You know, and you're you're talking about nurses who see 20 deaths a day, and they're not in a war zone. They're at home. That that's traumatic. That is that is something on the psyche that's not going to go away anytime soon, if ever. So to take that and translate it over here to senators who are supposed to be representing these healthcare workers, who are supposed to be representing these victims, who are supposed to be representing the people who are most affected by this disease, to see them literally on the Senate floor saying, I don't need to wear a mask. I don't need to wear a piece of fabric over my face, lest that I catch the disease as well. Right. It is, it is infuriating, not only to me, but to the victims of COVID-19. But, but they don't but they, but, but, but they don't it care about but they don't care about the victims, Michael. They don't. Bottom line is um there's no sense of responsibility. Uh they actually I really do believe uh in her her um immunity and I think for them, hey, um if three two to three percent die, yeah, we're good. 
And they're good for a couple of reasons. You know, obviously we're in a different time and clearly this whole cult of the last four years. But folks don't seem to be concerned anymore with, oh, what's your legacy going to be? What will history write about you? Because they know there will be a, another organization that will put out their history and from their perspective and make sure that their legacy is protected. So they don't necessarily care uh, about what's under their umbrella, both legislatively, who they fought for, who they didn't fight for, not putting up a stimulus package, whatever, the, whatever you want to bring up. And I think that's part of the problem is this uh, cult personality we've had to deal with over the last four years have, have given people the courage to say, you know what, I don't care. Because if it doesn't impact my base, the folks that I, which it does, by the way, <laughs> because now that COVID is ravaging red states, because of course in the early days it was more, at least according to 45, with blue states, now it's red states that are being ravaged. Uh, but he doesn't care. He's clearly checked out. Uh, he doesn't care about governing. He doesn't care. Nope. Not that he ever has cared about governing or leading. And now we're in a situation we're in. It's going to continue this way. Uh, that's exactly the case. Folks, let's talk about some other news. The FBI released a report yesterday that showed more people were killed in hate crimes last year in America than in any year since 1992 when the FBI first started recording hate killings. 51 people lost their lives to hate crime. That's a 112% increase over the year before. The bulk of the killings happened on August 3rd when a gunman shot and killed 23 people inside a Walmart in El Paso, Texas. A white gunman, a racist gunman. By 2019, it would have been a record year for deadly hate crimes, even without that massacre. This is, Joseph, uh, a, a real issue. This whole idea that Donald Trump has tamped down uh, the uh, racial animus, uh, that's a lie. Oh, absolutely. I mean, all you have to do is just look around. I mean, we've got... Uh, armed people showing up at state capitals, suggesting that they want to uh, that they want to burst in and open open fire on this uh, on, on the state legislature in Michigan. That they want to kidnap the Michigan governor. That it's okay to like try to run a campaign bus off the side of a road, and it's okay to proudly display your white nationalism. I, I saw a story the other day that the leader of the Proud Boys is upset because he wants to start calling himself a Nazi. I mean, there was a time where this was completely beyond the pale. Now it's been normalized in large part of the behavior and uh, the enabling of the Republican Party, the behavior of their president, they're enabling him to do this, and they're understanding that this is exactly what their base wants. Well, and I think that's the piece that people are missing here, uh, Kelly. They're missing that what Donald Trump has done is unleashed this idea that you can say whatever you want and do it, and guess what? No one is going to get in trouble for it. In fact, you can thrive. If it's an unleashing, more so it being a revealing uh, tactic, because it's not like it went away. It's not like he he opened up the floodgate. It was already open. He just allowed. He just opened it a little bit wider, you know. Um, but but when it comes to the Proud Boys and and all of these groups that are you know seemingly coming out the woodwork, I'm not surprised by it at all. It is a shame that we are going back to numbers um, regarding hate crimes, the like that we haven't seen basically since the Jim Crow era. Um, it, it it reveals how racist America is. It reveals how far 
um, behind we are in the psyche that Black lives really do matter. It reveals the fact that we have a long way to go before we can even contemplate um, saying that we are a post-racial society. So this isn't surprising to me at all. It is disappointing to me always. But the fact that we are now entering a new uh, leadership regime in the Biden-Harris uh, administration, hopefully those numbers will go back down. But don't be mistaken that their administration is a reflection of, of post-racial society or something that will eradicate racism well, some way. No, these people are still going right. to be around. Well, and we need see, to be I'm vigilant in getting them out completely. Joseph, go ahead. I, yeah, I just want to interject really quickly. I mean, those are two very important points. Number one is that, yes, as has always been there, but you know, at least 10 years ago or even eight years ago, people had the, 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 the good taste to, to, to keep it under wraps because the one thing that people hated to be called in public, and ironically, the one thing Trump hates being called is a racist. So people tried to have the good sense to try to not say the quiet parts out loud. Now they absolutely are saying the quiet parts out loud. They're using a bullhorn to say it. And the, the, the second point that I wanted to make that's more troubling is they are not going away with the election of Joe Biden. As a matter of fact, I think that they're taking their cues from Trump and saying that they're going to resist and they're going to fight to the last person. And Lord help us with what, you know, with whatever's going to come after that. But that's why, Michael, I say unleash. I said that for a reason. Uh, because, frankly, folks uh, can't say certain things in the public. Trump's like, what the hell? Yes, you can. They're like, hey, great. I believe that's why we're seeing... Look, we're going to show a crazy-ass white person segment, this white woman. Look, these folks just rolling up on folks, walking them in black people's houses, like, who are you? Why are you here? I mean, these, th these things were happening before. Yeah, they really happening right now. And I think even what you're talking about, what, what John's talking about, is related to also polling. Uh, we can. I know we know the polls were not uh, quite accurate, even though maybe in the end they'll be close. But in the last two cycles, they haven't really been accurate. And because we have people, when a pollster comes up to you with a clipboard at a grocery store, or calls your uh, calls your house, you know, and you have company over, folks who are 45 supporters, or do not want to tell a pollster that they're supporting that person because they think their friends will think they're racist. So they lie to pollsters. And I don't know how you fix that. The analytics you can fix, the computer systems you can fix, but I don't know how you fix human nature so people don't lie to a pollster. On the unleashing uh, comment, um, I, think every, I think everyone's right. Uh, the next four years are going to be resist just like it was the last four years. Hopefully, uh, the president-elect will figure out a way to be able to bring people together, turn down the heat, whether he's successful or not, I doubt it, especially if 45 decides to either have his own channel or whatever he decides to do to spew out every conspiracy theory he can with QAnon and the Proud Boys and all these things that he like he likes to support because they support him. Um, I don't know what the country will be like over the next four years. Hopefully, President-elect can try to figure out how to bring people together. Well, let's turn our attention to the Brenna Taylor case, uh, where a woman who sat on the grand jury recently came forward and told the Associated Press she believed the investigation into Taylor's death was incomplete and that prosecutors were only interested in giving the officers involved a slap on the wrist. This woman is the third juror who believes she and the other members of the jury weren't given the option to charge the officers who fatally shot Taylor. As we know, former police, police officer Brett Hankison was charged with three counts of wanton endangerment 
which is a low-level felony and carries a one to five-year sentence. As for the other two officers who shot Taylor, the grand jury decided not to charge them at all. The woman says more should have been done, and she doesn't understand why prosecutors didn't consider endangerment charges. We have the video. Roll it. Okay. All right, gotcha. So, folks, I thought we had the video. That, I mean, the fact that the, a third juror comes out, uh, Michael, I think speaks volumes. This district, this, this, the Kentucky Attorney General basically operated as the defense attorney. Pure and simple. Well, this, that's how he operated. He did, and he's been operating that way since... Uh... Some members of the leadership of the GOP have told him, if you follow a particular roadmap, uh, you'll be on the national stage. Uh, but you need to do things that you may not be comfortable with, but it'll help your own political uh, political career. He's a disaster. He's a disgrace. He's an embarrassment. Uh, and until there, and that's why hopefully this new Justice Department will come in and have an independent evaluation uh, whether to to whether uh, Ms. Taylor's civil rights were violated. And then there can be true accountability, and this district attorney can be kind of, or attorney general, can be pushed to the side uh, and pushed into a corner where he has no say. Because as long as he's involved, he's going to protect the constituency groups that think will help him get to whatever he wants to be, whether it's a governor, whether it's a presidential nominee, a vice presidential nominee, whatever his ambition is. I have no idea what it is. Um, and that, that's what he wants to do. That's why he's such a disgrace, and that's why he's terrible, except for to that, obviously, cult base I was talking about earlier. Uh, let's talk about the case out of uh, Louisiana. Today, we are learning 37-year-old Janet Irvin was the last person to see 15-year-old Kawan Bobby Charles before his body was found mutilated in a sugarcane field. Irvin has a history of arrest for drugs and burglary and also lost temporary custody of her children after being accused of neglect and domestic violence. Irvin and her 17-year-old son, Gavin, picked up Bobby from his Baldwin home on October 30th. Bobby's mother reported him missing around 8 p.m. that night. However, instead of putting out an Amber Alert, the Baldwin Police Department informed her Bobby was probably at a football game. We talked to the attorney yesterday who said he didn't even like football. Fast forward to November 3rd, and Bobby was found dead in a sugarcane field. Officials say the cause of death was by way of drowning. However, many find it suspicious that Bobby appeared to have been mutilated and had several lacerations on his face when he was found. Police say the lacerations were from aquatic activity. Yet many activists in the Charles family attorney, Ronald Haley, who I spoke with yesterday, believes there's more to this story. At this time, no arrests have been made. I, I, I am still confused. I'm still confused on this one, Kelly. How... This woman picks him up from the house. Mama don't know. No one knows. And like, really? Just that that that's what's crazy to me. The narrative that this woman picked him up and not kidnapped, that's an issue. Language matters in a case like this. This boy was kidnapped, he was murdered, and they drowned him to cover their track. This that is the narrative that needs to be purported. But that's not what's happening right now. They're trying to basically assuage the public, um, specifically uh, this white woman, allegedly, and making it look like she didn't do anything wrong before anything even um, is even purported to happen, you know, from, from a case perspective. But narratives matter here. 
This little boy was murdered, and it needs to be investigated as a murder. It doesn't need to be investigated as him being something like a truant or just, you know, a runaway or something like that. He was kidnapped, he was murdered, and the people responsible need to be uh, held accountable, arrested, and jailed. It's simple as that. Uh, it is quite the strange story, Joseph, uh, looking at this story, and there's just so much not adding up. Well, none of it adds up except the fact that it happened in Louisiana, quite frankly, in my opinion. Um, and it recalls uh, to me a lot of these local news stories where we see about some white woman who goes missing, some white youngster who goes missing, and it's pull out the stops. We see 24-hour coverage. We see uh, day after day. Uh, we see billboards, that sort of thing. But when uh, black youngsters go missing, when black young people go missing, which happens day after day after day, we don't really get that kind of coverage. We don't see that kind of coverage. And people kind of wonder what the Black Lives Matter movement is about. Uh, I uh, often say that the Black Lives Matter movement is not a, a, a movement per se. It's just an existential argument. We are talking, this is, this is just a baseline thing. We deserve to exist. That's just a baseline fact. And when you get cases like these that happen in a backwoods sheriff's department, that happen uh, under cover of darkness with white people involved, the mind goes to dark places, and that's because it's happened before. Uh, Emmett Till, you name it. Uh, this, this one clearly harkens back to that. So I think that if we had a functional justice department, they'd be on the case. If there was functional law enforcement in Louisiana, they'd be on the case. We don't have either of those two things um, from as far as I can see. So this young man's death may be a mystery for a lot longer than most of us are comfortable for. Not quite sure how, folks, um, how about this woman is still um, walking around free uh, several days after the case, Michael. No, no, no one does, it's, except for the, uh, the people in that community that support the way the criminal justice, uh, the criminal justice system is applied. Uh, they think it's fine. Uh, she, white women get the benefit of the doubt, or white people get the benefit of the doubt, and certainly people of color do not. Um, so, you know, it's Roland, we've talked about this uh, time and time again, and uh, hopefully, uh, when we talk about elections have consequences, hopefully, this will be a very activist Justice Department that will step in when it's when the local municipalities are not doing what they're supposed to do to treat people fairly, and that the Justice Department will step in and say no. And then, hopefully, that becomes a deterrent to other criminal justice systems and other municipalities and localities around the country to say, you know what, I do not want the feds in my backyard telling me what to do. So you know what, officers? Act right. Let's not even have the microscope on us. If somebody has their hands up, don't shoot them. Um, if their back is to you, don't shoot them. You know what, pull out a taser instead of your gun. If there are three of you, tackle the guy. I mean, there's so many other options, but it comes from the top. And until there's a deterrent, and again, you'll hear me say this over and over again as a former legislator, I know it's tough to go up against the police unions. But until you take qualified immunity off the table, until you make these officers pay for their own legal defense fund, uh, until you mess with their pensions, these are going to continue to happen. Oh, I absolutely agree. I mean, I, I absolutely agree uh, that that is going to be the case, and, and, and that is what, uh, uh, frankly... Uh, we're seeing, we're dealing with uh, as well. And so uh, I, I, want to, I want to talk about this here, uh, and that is um, for us as, as African-Americans, when do we actually uh, take a righteous stand against absolute craziness? 
Um, Jamal Bryant posted this video the other day, um, and it was a video that was posted by Joni Lamb. She is the co-founder of Daystar. And uh, I want you just, I want to pull this up. I'm going to explain something on the back end, but I want y'all to see the video first. Go to my iPad, please. The president has every right to look into allegations and to request recounts under the law. This is a very big moment. This is a major fraud in our nation. That was a stop the steal, a stop the steal rally that uh, Joni Lamb, co-founder of Daystar, uh, posted on her page uh, four days ago. Now, what's interesting is that I was one of the folks who went to Joni Lamb's uh, Instagram page uh, to share my disgust with that ad. And I just, the reason I, I was checking out to go to Jamal's page because a poor little Joni blocked me uh, on Instagram <laughs> because I posted some comments along with a bunch of others. They wiped the comments. I went back and posted some more comments, but they went ahead. So let me say this right here. Here is the co-founder of a Christian television network that airs a significant number of sermons from black preachers. And they, she puts on here this, and she had lots of pray for Trump uh, posts on her page and all the sort of nonsense. And the thing is, Daystar wants to rely on black preachers using the tithes and offerings of black people to pay for their television ministry. And then she puts this nonsense up, a stop the steal rally in a state Trump beat Biden by 800,000 votes. So what, so what, what, what the hell is Joni Lamb and Daystar saying was stolen? I'm, I'm, I'm confused. See, th this is the nonsense that you see from these white conservative evangelicals. And see, again, uh, Daystar ain't got no problem with black dollars. They've got no problem with black viewers. But her supporting this nonsense that the election is stolen, I'm telling you right now, if you are the member of a church, if you, are the, if you are the member of a pastor who is broadcasting on Daystar, you should tell your pastor, pull your program off Daystar. You should say that your tithes and offerings will not go to people who are so petulant and childish in supporting and backing a tyrant that they would openly lie lie and support such nonsense. I don't, I don't care who it is. Daystar should get no black money whatsoever, Michael Brown. None. Penalize 
Joni Lamb, Marcus Lamb, pull the programming off and say, we're not going to pee on your network. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Roger Stone actually started this whole uh, Stop the Steal campaign four years ago because he thought that uh, um, Secretary Clinton was going to win the election. So he, this was really started four years ago, and clearly it's working out perfectly from his standpoint and 45 standpoint for this campaign. But, um, you know, again, same thing. You know, black churches have a whole different um, standard that they have to adhere to relative to any kind of political activity. Uh, but when it's a white church, especially the, these uh, right wing, right wing uh, evangelists, they have to say, oh, we can do, get involved in as much politics as we want. No one's going to put a target on our heads. No one's going to take away our 501c3 status. But boy, if you're a black church, you even think about mentioning something political in your church. Somebody's going to say, oh, put up the red flag. Wait a minute. They need to have their 501c3 C3 status revoked. So uh, the standards are different. These people think they can do whatever they want. Again, hopefully we'll see an active Justice Department. No one's suggesting that anyone should go to jail or be convicted of a crime yet, but send them a letter. Uh, send, send, send an agent down to talk to them and say, look, you're, you're skirting the laws. You're right on the line. Maybe you should take a step back. But until those kind of things happen, these people are going to continue to act any way they want uh, as long as they're... Um, I look, I, I, I don't care who you are. I, I dare say, Kelly, don't run your conferences on Daystar. Don't have your sermons on Daystar. Don't appear on Daystar. It is abundantly clear that Daystar does not care about all Christians. What Joni Lamb and Marcus Lamb care about are their white conservative evangelicals. And fine, if you want to sit here and support Trump on your Instagram page, fine. But to sit here and promote a Stop the Steal rally, oh, hell no. Hell no. And I'm telling you right now, no black pastor should be airing their sermons or any programs on Daystar, Kelly. None. I mean, I agree with you there. And obviously, the challenge is where else would they air it? I mean, oh, I no, 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 no. That's not a challenge. Kelly, that's not a challenge. You got TBN. You got. You, no, I'm, what I'm saying is, I agree with you there in that there are other options. I'm right. just saying from the viewpoint of a pastor. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. And what I'm telling you, the viewpoint of that pastor is wrong because there are now multiple multiple religious networks. Secondly, we're now living in the digital world. You don't even need Daystar. Hell, you can go, you can go right too. So any pastor using that excuse, that's already gone. Oh, well, then there you go. <laughs> no challenge then, right? But again, I when you said that they don't care about certain Christians, I would argue to say that they don't care about Christians at all. I would argue that they are not really following the teachings of Christ himself, because Christ would not be um, supporting a tyrant. Christ would not be supporting people who literally hate others and make it their duty to hate others and make sure that we know that they hate us. Um, Christ was a marginalized person of color who was a target of the government at large. He would not be in support of this president. He would not be in support of anybody who would support this president. So for you to say that you're Christian, for you to say that you follow the teachings of Christ and that you uh, love your neighbor as yourself, and yet you still ascribe to this, to this cult-like doctrine that is 
Trump and white evangelicalism and 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 Eurocentric Christianity as a whole, the, there I've been saying this a lot on my show, but the cognitive dissonance is right there. Like the, the, you can't serve two masters, right? I mean, because that is a master in and of itself, and you cannot serve that kind of government. You cannot serve that kind of ideology and still consider yourself Christian. Not anymore, anyway. Like, you shouldn't have in the first place. But you definitely can't do it now in 2020. The, the thing here, Joseph, is that, again, the way Daystar makes their money is pastors pay for the programming on Daystar. And so they are, so they are paying to have their sermons or their programs run on Daystar. And it's like, fine, Joni Lamb, if that's how y'all want to roll, no problem, go right ahead. You're not getting our money. And I'm telling you, every single black preacher who has who is on Daystar should pull their programming immediately and say, you are not going to get any of our money. No way. Well, and if there are pastors who are about history, you know, the, the three words that come to mind for me are Montgomery bus boycott. Uh, you know, you aren't treated fairly. You're 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 being uh, uh, exposed to racist uh, behavior and racist dialogues. Ah, I mean, pull that. Yeah, I mean, there there are plenty of other ways to make your money. Plenty of other ways to get your message out. Uh, if it's more about the message than the money. And why should you support someone who has these sorts of ideas and attitudes? So the answer is clear. Uh, the question is, do the pastors have enough fortitude and enough? Uh, a sense of history to take collective action here, and only time will tell. Well, look, only time will tell, but the bottom line is here. Uh, th this is the moment how we use our economic power. There are other options. They're not the only option. And so, fine, Joni, that's how you want to roll? Cool. Black dollars don't have to be spent on Daystar uh, paying uh, for, uh, paying for uh, your hair and everything else like that. So uh, here's the deal. Here's what I want my audience to do. Uh, I want y'all, uh, if y'all look at Daystar, I want y'all, so people can watch different times. I want y'all to look at Daystar or pull up their programming guide. In fact, I'm going to sit here. Matter of fact, let's see. What I got over here? I got my, I got my Roku. Let's see right now. Because, see, I was looking for the guide on their website. Yeah, y'all know I don't play this. I was looking for the guide uh, on their website uh, and did not see... Uh, did not see the um, uh, the guide. So I want to know, so y'all tell me, if y'all look at Daystar, I want y'all to tell me who is on, what black pastors are on Daystar, and then what we will do is we will call them personally. <laughs> we will call them directly. And so uh, easiest thing for y'all to do is just, uh, and just, just shoot an email uh, a real simple, uh, a, a real simple, uh, and just send it. To, just send us an email, uh, info at rollingsmartin.com. Send us an email, and yeah, we want to see exactly uh, who they have on their network to let them know uh, and whether or not they endorse that particular nonsense. And so, and it's cool. Here's the deal, Daystar. Y'all can do whatever you want to. You ain't getting black dollars. Not gonna happen. All right, y'all know what time it is. Oh no. <laughs> Oh, 
Oh, man, y'all. Uh, I'm telling you, there's a lot of these crazy folk out here. They got no sense whatsoever. This California Karen went to her black neighbor's home. <laughs> yeah, went to the black neighbor's home. Accused him of... Accused this pit bull of biting her dog. The man said, what the hell are you talking about? I got it all on videotape. Then she told him, what kind of black, how y'all acting? How y'all acting? Y'all, oh, roll this video. Well, 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 and y'all, my sister were very nice. I got everything you know on camera. So you can leave, please. You can get off my property. My dog has never messed with your dog. You were doing anything to me again, I'll call the police. Call the police. Everything's on camera. I'll be happy to show them. I'll be happy to show him. I, gotta, I, I don't want to see that dog outside. Well, he's going to be outside, because I have a right to have him just like every other person in here. He ain't done nothing to you. He ain't done nothing to your dog. Why are you so nasty? I'm nasty by explaining to you that my dog hasn't done anything wrong. You came over here to my house on my property. But, but the dog came to my Man, property. Look, I've been nice to you. I've helped you and your family. I've always talked to you. Since we're acting like black people, right? We're acting like black people, and that's well, not normal. Most people don't act like you do. How are we acting? We, how are we acting? You came over here with a taser. You I came, came over, over here, here because your pit bull attacked my little he dog. He didn't attack your dog. Not at all. Your son was out here with it. And he didn't attack the dog. The, the dog, I saw the dog. I saw you pet the dog. You pet I didn't the, dog. Pet the dog. I just pet the dog because I wanted to see if he was okay. <laughs> 
you didn't pet the dog, but you pet the dog because you wanted to see if he was okay. Why don't you record all this? I, I am recording it. You, you're about to be famous. You know what? You're going to go. You're about to be famous. Where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? You're going to go to hell. Okay. Because I'm going to sue the hell out of you, both of you. All right. All, of you. all right. Get out. Hello. Hey. Where are you? Right over here. Do about a little dog like this, and now there we, you go. Ain't no pit, but he ain't done nothing to your dog. You so what about what about all, what about other all the other big dogs around you here? You know, most people in Oklahoma that are really were black were, were normal. Are you guys not normal? I guess not. I mean, we got we got along with them really well. You yeah. keep walking over here with your fucking taser. Look, Jerio, go in the house. You were yelling. Go in the house, Jerio. Go in the house. Go in the house. Let's let's show the world who has class and who doesn't. That's a good idea. Yeah. Isn't it be real nice when there's hundreds of people in front of your house because you want to be a racist white woman, Karen? Back the fuck up. Get off my phone. You know what? I have a top secret parent. You know what's going to happen to you guys? You're about to lose it. Oh, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. Especially after this. Oh, yeah, it's a lot that you're Yeah, you're about to lose a lot. Are you white? You wish I was, huh? Well, you look like you're white. But I was raised with black people, and they were very nice. Most of the black people I knew are very nice in Oklahoma City. Have you been to That conversation for me, Michael, went about four minutes and 40 seconds Why? too long. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... Um, they could have done... Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know why they just didn't call the popo uh, on her. Uh, it was it's just... But it's just a shame the... Uh, the gall that folks have gotten uh, and had over the last 420 some odd years, but the fact that they still have it in 2020 because of this culted personality we've been uh, that's been at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, she thinks she can do what she wants, call people what she wants to call them, uh, and yeah, you're right. I wish they had just called the police on her and and let let them see what let them sort it out because that 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 was too long of a conversation. And uh, it's just unfortunate. If you walk your ass up on my property, Kelly, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. And then you ain't got no mask on. I'm trying to tell you. I'm... Like, that was one of the first things that I noticed. I'm like, you don't have a mask. You're not socially distant. You, you three ways to Sundays types are wrong. Like, there was nothing right about what this woman did. And the poor dog. The poor dog is looking at everybody like, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what she's talking about. I'm with the black man on this, because this 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 don't make no sense. I, I want to go home. I want to go home. Like, it, nothing made sense here. If there's nothing that dumb white people have, it is the audacity. The caucasity, if you will. Because the, the fact that she felt comfortable enough to be in my space on my property, like, no, no, I don't have the patience for that. 
she would have been on the ground within 30 seconds if she was in my face for that long. I'm just saying. I mean, absolutely no sense. I'm telling you. Kudos to that family for having the patience and the grace necessary to navigate that situation well. But I can tell you right now, it could not be. And Michael, uh, the the husband really knew that the wife was about to go hashtag team with that ass on. (laughs) He was like, "Go on in the house, go on the house," because he, yes. he he heard he heard the intensity of her voice. She's like, mm, "She about to whoop your ass." So let me just go ahead, go on the house, <laughs> go on the house. That 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 he he was trying to say the white woman, like I'm trying to but, save but your she, life. She dropped the B word what three or four times. That should give you an indication. Hey. She's about to- Hey, hey, hey. She was letting her know right then, like, look, it's about to be a problem up in here. So y'all might want to go ahead and get this little nonsense straightened out. But, you know, I'm telling you, that's how these folks roll. That's how they roll. All right, Kelly, Michael, uh, as well as um, uh, uh, Joseph, I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Founders Day. Thank you. Uh, What Founders Day? Founders Day. What? What Happy Founders Day, Michael. Thank you very much. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I was, that's right. Lil, is a Lil, Lil Youth Group Day? Oh, my God. Okay. All right. I got a, I got a quarter is, is, is and that, a is, dollar in this fight. No, I mean, I just, just, just want to be clear because um, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, I just want to be clear uh, that, that, you know, we got the right day uh, since, you know. But you know what, Michael? But you know what? I'm, I'm uh, you know what? I'm, I'm sure glad you brought that up because I, I, I. Oh, Lord. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I was, I was. I was. I saw all of these tweets. I saw all of these tweets and stuff from various people, and they were talking about, you know, they were showing everybody. And their mama was showing their little, uh, were showing their little, um, their little videos, and you know, throwing your little stuff. And, and I remembered. I remembered. Um, I remembered when Buddy Lewis and I. I thought we were over with this thing. No, we're not. We're not because uh, we still have eight minutes left of the show. So, but Buddy Lewis and I were on the golf course uh, in L.A. a couple of years ago. Buddy, of course, went to Howard, uh, and uh, he could not get into Alpha, so therefore he had no choice but to become an Omega. <laughs> and so, Chris Spencer, uh, we, we were, Chris is behind the camera. Chris said, "I bet you won't put on Atomic Dog." on the golf course and challenged Buddy. Why did he have the audacity to challenge an alpha? Watch. You have video? Oh, it's dead. Oh, he ain't gonna put on time because Buddy's don't make I said, you think I'm worried? Now, Buddy was hopping. The problem is, Buddy can't step anymore. Shit, Buddy actually hops. He gonna blow both knees, an ankle, all this sort of shit. So let me, since he old and he an Omega, let me show Alpha, show the ass how to do it. Give me that kick, buddy. Josh, y'all see that? Uh, uh, y'all see that? Uh, see, he can't spin the guy. Uh, uh, he's uh, hot. He's hot. Uh, he stopped halfway. Uh, because he can't. He gonna blow something. Nigga, y'all kicking mud all on my face. <laughs> Don't let the alpha turn you out, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I told him Alpha's his daddy. Fuck that. <laughs> it's never wise, Michael, to challenge an Alpha. 
Oh, I'll give it to you, though. That was impressive in golf shoes. I'll it's, give you it's, that. It's, it's never wise to challenge an alpha. It's never wise. It ain't going to oh. end well. I can't believe you had that video ready. Oh. <laughs> like, oh. You. Like. <laughs> I'm always prepared. Let's just be real clear. Roe always prepared. Hey, Kelly, Kelly, it's his show. We have to be prepared. It's his show. Yes, now you have that memory for your little founder's day. All right, Michael, I appreciate it. <laughs> Let me give a shout-out to the folks who contributed uh, 50 bucks to our Bring the Funk fan club, Mia G, Randy Caradine, Cassandra Corley, Pamela Butler-Harris, Estelle B. Carey, uh, Effie Coley, uh, Laura Dean Timberlake, Lori Jenkins, Deatra Pendleton James, Aminia McKinn, Kimberly Stanley, Jay Tyson, more music, please, uh, The Borough Church, Ventura Ingram, Judy Bell, Crystal Raven, Tracy Dunham, Janine Williams, Stephanie Orlando Mitchell, Francine Tompkins, Debbie, Beverly Perriman, Tasha Cox, Honey, Monica Little, Elizabeth Ray, Elaine Brandon, Natasha Faison, Carlene Smith, John Wilson, Yolanda Bethay, Eric Sterling, as well as Jesse Thompson. Those are the folks, of course, uh, who have supported us uh, with our Brina Funk fan club. I got a few more uh, to uh, read as well. Let me uh, pull those up. Uh, just give me a second. Give me a second uh, to pull those up. Uh, want an opportunity to be able to uh, give them a shout out. There are some folks who also uh, sit in checks. Peggy Ellis, uh, Leslie Bowie, Ann F. Lewis, Gary Rave, Anthony Mosley Jr., Lottie D. Patterson, Alice Lark, Gene Reeves, Ronald Coleman, John Arnold, Patricia L. Taylor, Patsy Colbert, Sheila Van, Barbara Bryant, Robert Glanton, Lisa Jenkins, Marlene Minor, Anita Kent, uh, Anise Turney, and Gwendolyn Brown. So, Glenn, we certainly appreciate uh, all of you as well. Uh, for, for supporting our uh, Bring the Funk fan club. And I think I have one more I'm looking right now. Uh, just, forget, just give me a second. I want to get everybody's shout-out in. I don't want to leave anybody out who contributed uh, to our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, so, you know what? I'm going to have to find those. Uh, we'll we'll uh, read some of those tomorrow. Now, if you want to support what we do, go to our cash app. Dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal.me is uh, forward, uh, forward slash R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo.com is RM Unfiltered. You can also contribute to Zale uh, with email Roland at RolandSMartin.com. If you're on YouTube, you can give right here on YouTube. More than 5,000 of y'all watching the show today, uh, folks. Uh, we right now have almost 15,000 members of our family. Club. We want to get to we want to get to twenty thousand by December thirty first. You can also send us a money order to New Vision Media, NU Vision Media Inc., sixteen twenty five K Street Northwest, Suite four hundred, Washington D.C. two thousand and six. And so you can go. You can definitely go ahead and send us. Uh, that uh, money order as well. And speaking of that, these are the folks who didn't necessarily believe, who don't like, um, who don't like uh, technology. So they really mail it in. Let's see here. Y'all gotta help me out. Let's see. All right. All right, Kenneth Darby. Kenneth, thank God you put that on the back of your envelope because I cannot read your signature, Kenneth. So Kenneth, I appreciate our, joining our Bring the Fuck fan club. And when I said y'all, literally these came in today. So let me see here. Who we got here? Uh, we're going to shout out uh, William Hall. William Hall right here. And if somebody left a note, I'm going to go ahead and read the note right here on the air. Uh, let's see here. All right. Let's see here. Uh, Vida Diana Hughes. Vida. I appreciate it, Vida. Uh, thank you so very much. All right. Let's see here. Uh, let me open this up. And again, y'all can, can get right there on YouTube. I certainly would appreciate it because uh, we got some great stuff lined up for you. 
Uh, let's see here. Tara Lynn A. Phillips Miles. I certainly appreciate it. Uh, and so she did not leave us a note, but I appreciate uh, her support for what uh, we're doing here uh, on the show. We've got, uh, like I say, there's some new technology uh, that we're getting uh, to improve the show. New look. Uh, also, uh, Howard Lewis. Howard Lewis, I certainly appreciate it, man. Uh, Howard Lewis and Janice Williams. Thank you so very much. Uh, there's some new technology we're looking at getting. Also, we're adding some staff as well. Our goal, of course, uh, is to get bigger and better uh, with what we do, uh, spreading the word. Uh, Cheryl Dugan. Cheryl Dugan, I appreciate it. Let's see. Uh, Bill Holman Jr. Let's see what this here is. Um, let's see. Somebody said... All right, let's see here. All right, let's see. Uh, please don't read my name on the air. Thank you. Okay. But we still got your check. I appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Uh, let's see here. Uh, do, 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 do. Let's see here. All right, I'm almost done. I got five more. I'm hoping as a note in here I can read from one of our fans. Normally some folks send us notes, postcards, stuff like that. But they like, man, just take the check. Just take the check. So we'll go ahead and do that. Uh, and again, our goal is to get uh, for you to contribute at least 50 bucks uh, for the course of the year. That's $4.19 a month, uh, $0.13 cents a day. Uh, and we so that will certainly go a long way to help us do what we do in terms of building this independent uh, black-owned media show as well. James Gladney. Hey, James. I appreciate it, James. So y'all like, man, I don't need to write no uh, dissertation. I just want to go ahead and support the show. Let's see here. That looks like I got a note here. Yes, I do. Um, all right, then. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Please enclose uh, my check. Uh, it's a donation for your journalist support for the black community and keeping us informed and updated on issues that involve us as a people. Your tireless efforts uh, in placing your life, abilities, talents, and knowledge on the line is truly appreciated. Keep Keeping you in our prayers for safety and protection again. Thank you very much. And that is... Uh, Margaret Hatley. Margaret, I appreciate it. And this is the last letter I'm going to open today. Uh, and let's see here. Uh, do, do, do. Final one. And let's see here. I enjoy watching your show. Keep up the good work. And this is L.C. Simmons. So L.C. Simmons. I appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Again, folks, uh, we do what we do because of your support, and it's all about uh, give, providing you uh, with the news and information you're not going to get anywhere else. Y'all know how we do it. We keep it real. We keep it black. We keep it honest. We keep it unapologetic, and we keep it unfiltered. I will see you guys tomorrow. Holla! I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 